You are listening to a sermon by Ted Hamilton, Senior Pastor of New Life Presbyterian Church in Escondido, California. For more information about New Life, visit us online at newlifepca.com. That's N-E-W-L-I-F-E-P-C-A.com. Okay, Uh, we are uh, using a few weeks here in the summer to uh, re-examine the vision and the mission of New Life Presbyterian Church. For some of you this will be new, some of you it's review, but it's always a good thing to to uh, you know, rethink. You know, why are we here again? You know, why why do we do what we do here? Um, and that's what we're doing. The vision of new life, and when I say vision, I mean our aspirational goal, is to present everyone mature in Christ, Colossians chapter one, and then to achieve that vision, right? To accomplish that vision, we have a three part mission. Uh, We worship the God of the gospel. We grow uh, in grace together as a church. And then third, we communicate the changeless Christ to a changing culture. And today we're looking at the second part of that mission statement, growing in grace together as a church. And to get a handle on that, we're going to look at an encounter between two uh, significant men, uh, one Elisha, the great prophet in Israel, uh, and one Naaman, the commander-in-chief of the uh, Syrian armies. Our text is 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 1 through 19. Uh, if you have a Bible, you can open them up to that, 2 Kings 5. If you don't, it's printed on the insert in your bulletin. Because today we're in Hebrew narrative, of course the the text is longer, so I won't ask you to stand for this reading. You can stay seated. Let's give attention as I read the word. This is God's word. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, Would that my lord were with the prophet who's in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his lord, Thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel, and the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God? kill and make alive this and to make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me but when elisha the man of god heard that the king of israel had torn his clothes he sent to the king saying why have you torn your clothes let him come now to me that he may know that there's a prophet in israel so naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. 
And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away, saying, Behold, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand all over the place, and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. But his servants came near and said to him, My father, it's a great word that the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. Then he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and he came and stood before him and he said, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel, so accept now a present from your servant. But he said, As the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. Then Naaman said, If not, please let there be given to your servant two mule loads of earth, For from now on your servant will not offer burnt offering or sacrifice to any god but the Lord. In this matter, may the Lord pardon your servant. When my master goes into the house of Rimmon to worship there, leaning on my arm, and I bow myself in the house of Rimmon, when I bow myself in the house of Rimmon, the Lord pardon your servant in this matter. And he said to him, go in peace. Thus far, the reading of uh, God's word. Let's pray for God's assistance. Lord, we uh, thank you for this time. We come together to hear from you, from your word. And this ancient event which you have disclosed to us does show us your grace. We need your grace. We need to grow in your grace. So by your Holy Spirit, Lord, grow us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. First Sunday of January, 1773. Young pastor stands before his uh, small uh, congregation in Olney, England, and uh, introduces a new hymn that he had just written. Uh, to uh, illustrate the sermon that he was going to preach that very morning. The pastor, of course, former slave trader, John Newton. The hymn, uh, you probably guessed it, uh, Amazing Grace. Uh, John Newton's most famous hymn. This coming January, 2023, will will mark the 250th anniversary uh, of Amazing Grace. Uh, probably the best known hymn inside and outside the church around the world, one that continues to have a profound impact on on people. Uh, one of our min- ministries that's led by a former New Lifer, Haven Ministries, I serve on the board, we're, we're, uh, Haven Ministries is putting together a movie uh, that will be released next year uh, about Amazing Grace. So it's, uh, it's going to be an interesting, good year. Well, how do you explain the impact and influence of, of a hymn like Amazing Grace? 
well, I think it, of course, comes down to what the hymn's about, right? Grace strikes a deep chord in the, in the heart of every human being. Uh, and if we're really honest, if you, even if you're not a Christian today, right? If, you're, if you really are honest, down deep, you know you need grace. You know that you need to be treated uh, in a way that you don't deserve to be treated. You know, in a God-made, God-controlled universe, uh, grace is God's regulative principle. Whether you acknowledge it or not, everything you are, everything that you possess is traceable directly back to God's grace. Right? You didn't choose when you were born. You didn't choose where you were born. You didn't choose into which family you were born. All that comes by God's sovereign grace, sovereign choice. And though you've worked hard to get what you have, uh, the reality is you are working with tools that God has graciously given you. Right? The gifts and the talents and the opportunities that come to you by grace. Each of you, whether you acknowledge it or not, are a walking, talking monument to the sustaining grace of God. And because grace is so important and so central to life, so necessary to life, especially as we consider uh, the prospect of facing the judgment of a holy God, um, grace is something we need to grow in. Right? It, the, the last written words that we know of uh, of the Apostle Peter deal with that very subject, right? The closing line of, of uh, 2 Peter, 2 Peter 3.18. But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the scriptural basis for this part of our mission, to grow in grace together as a church. So what I want to do is unpack not everything in this, in this narrative, but unpack enough of it to uncover five principles of worship, five principles of grace, five principles that speak to grace and about how we grow uh, in grace. And I, uh, I hope these will inform you. I hope they'll uh, challenge you. I hope they'll encourage you uh, as well. Um, five principles, so I'm going to go fast, right? This is, I know it's two more than the normal three, uh, so I'll be moving fast. Um, principle number one, God's grace is almost always surprising. It's almost always surprising. Uh, and of course, the big surprise here hits us in verse one, uh, and that is that God's grace comes to Naaman. Naaman of all people. Uh, you know, if you were to have a poll in ancient Israel about sort of the, who would, might be the most unlikely recipient of God's grace, one would imagine that Naaman would be on the, near the top of that list, right? The commander of the Syrian army. Syria, you have to remember, is an enemy of Israel. Uh, and so here is, uh, you know, a key figure in, in the Syrian uh, government, who, uh, 
who is, has dedicated his life, his career, to militarily defeating Israel. Right? And he's the one that receives the grace. Right? That's a surprise, right? Right away in verse 1. But, but as surprising as that is, it's even more surprising, right? Because you, you, you read further on in verse 1 and you discover that, that the grace to Naaman didn't start with this healing. Right? That's the kind of the, the obvious grace that we see in Naaman's life, that this man who, who had everything but, but everything was now at risk because he was a leper, something he could do nothing about, something medicine could do nothing about. Uh, right? he, he, that, that healing, it was, it was just the obvious uh, uh, manifestation of God's grace. The fact of the matter is that Naaman was who he was. He had this great reputation as a mighty man of valor because God had been giving him victories. God had been giving victories to Syria. And some of those victories to Syria were over Israel. That's the stunner. I mean, that's the real surprise here. Wow. Wow. God has been giving grace to this man. He is who he is because of grace. God's been handing him victories. And and, and he's gained this great reputation. And now God, by his grace, has has healed him. Has done what no man could do. Well, here's the application for us. I think, uh, you know... The good news, in, in, inside this surprise is the good news that when, when it comes to God extending his grace to human beings, the good news is that he's not controlled, God is not controlled by our parochial, judgmental concepts about who or who shouldn't get grace. Who should or shouldn't get grace, right? I mean, I'm thankful that, you know, I'm not subject to a jury of my peers uh, to to see if if I get God's grace. That that comes from God and God alone. And that means there's hope. There's hope for every person here. No matter how unlikely it may seem to you that you would receive grace or that friend that you know that you've been praying about would ever receive grace, uh, this surprise of Naaman should encourage you. No one is outside of the reach of God's surprising grace. So, So if that unbelieving friend you've been praying about, thinking about bringing to new life, bring them. All right, let's watch God surprise us. Maybe you will. Okay, that's the first principle. God's grace is almost always surprising. Principle number two, God's grace is almost always traumatic. This is related. It's not just surprising, it's traumatic. Uh, And it's traumatic on two levels. Uh, First, if you think grace was given to somebody that shouldn't have gotten it, Right? If you've concluded that God, God blew it and gave grace to someone who shouldn't have received it, um, 
you're not only going to be just surprised, you're likely to be angry. You may be traumatized. This was a traumatizing episode uh, in, in the history of Israel. And, in fact, and I can prove it, how traumatizing it was. Because centuries after this happened, people are still traumatized by it. Think back to uh, the gospel accounts, Luke's account, Luke chapter 4. Luke talks about the time when Jesus went back to his hometown in Nazareth to preach in the synagogue there. And so Jesus is preaching to this hometown church, right? His hometown synagogue. A bunch of people he knows. And uh, in the course of his sermon, he mentions this episode. Uh, and Luke records it, he, uh, Jesus' words as saying, uh, there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was healed but only Naaman the Syrian. People did not want to hear that one. And that was not a real popular homegoing sermon. Uh, because once Jesus, those, those words escaped Jesus' lips, uh, Luke records that the, the service stopped, um, uh, the, the congregation was filled with wrath, they seized Jesus, dragged him out of the synagogue, out of the city, uh, to, uh, up to a cliff in order to throw him off the cliff and kill him for mentioning Naaman the Syrian. Now, Jesus escaped, of course, but you see, grace was traumatic to them because grace had gone to someone that they didn't think should have received it. But it's also traumatic at at another level. It's traumatic to those people who receive it, uh, including you, including Naaman. Um, Look how Naaman responded here in verses 11 and 12. Right, He comes, uh, and he's not looking for grace. He's looking for healing, right? So, and he shows up with uh, a whole lot of people, right? He's got his entourage, a whole lot of money. And he is ready to go get the broomstick of the Wicked Witch of the West, if that's what it's going to take uh, to get his healing. Uh, he's prepared. I, I'm going to pay for it. I'm going to work for it. Whatever it is, uh, Elisha, you tell me. Uh, and uh, I, I, I'm there. And of course, what he receives is not that. He, what he receives is grace. Right? No, you don't do anything. Just go wash seven times in the Jordan River. Right? And how, what, what, what's Naaman's reaction? You'd think, right, this is amazing grace, Right? No, <laughs> right? This is enraging grace. What? Washing the, the, the crummy Jordan River? The mud hole? It better rivers in Damascus. Who's he think I am? Right? I came here, I've got all this money, all these people. And he wants to, me to sit down in this mud hole? Anybody could do that. I'm not going to do that. Right? He's enraged, he's offended. Um, uh, why? 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 Po- what possible reason for that reaction? Well, you, pro- you probably know. Again, if you know your heart, you know. Grace offends us, doesn't it? 
Grace offends our, that, that deeply ingrained belief in, in us, in our own goodness, in our own morality, in our own self-sufficiency. Grace rubs against that deeply held, uh, cherished belief that I can earn what I need. Right? We may sing about amazing grace with our lips, but even as we're singing it, our minds are organized around different principles than grace. Right? Our minds go to fairness, getting what I deserve, meeting a minimum standard, doing what's necessary. Right? It's because we're human beings and, it's, and we're American human beings. That's all anti-grace stuff. So the application really is to look at your heart here. I mean, what are you living out of? Are you, are you living out of a, 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 a present awareness that you, you are a recipient of God's grace? Uh, or are you pushing against that? Or are, you, are you trying to live out of your own moral efforts and, 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 and getting frustrated? And the fact, that, and that's that's a question not just for unbelievers. It's a question for believers because uh, if you're like me, I'm constantly forsaking my trust in God's grace and and reverting back to trust in myself, trust in my gifts, trust in my my efforts, trust in my discipline. We're so hardwired to, to our own works that we constantly need to be reminded to go back to Jesus, right? To, as, we, as we sang today, to turn our eyes back to Jesus uh, and, to, and to remember that we stand here, Christians, by grace and by grace alone. Right? Okay, that's, um, that's principle one. Grace almost always surprises Principle two, grace is also almost always traumatic. Principle three, God almost always uses other people to mediate his grace to us. This is important because this is why this is part of the mission of the church. Uh, God could certainly and and does at times certainly mediate his grace directly, right? Uh, but, but more often than not, God mediates his grace to you through other people. Just like he did with Naaman, right? He certainly used Elisha, right? Elisha was, is the, sort of at the center of this account. But as important as, as, as Elisha's mediation of grace was here, there, there were other people even more directly involved in mediating grace to Naaman. And, and these weren't well-known people. These weren't special people. In fact, these people were so normal, regular people that we don't even know their names, right? Uh, it, was, it was his wife's servant, that little servant girl uh, who started the whole ball rolling, right, at verses 2 and 3, pointing Naaman uh, in the first instance to, to Elisha. For uh, for his healing, and then it was his own ser- Naaman's own servants, right at verse thirteen, who talked him off the ledge of his anger, 
uh, when uh, when uh, he, he wanted to walk away from grace, walk away from the Jordan River, uh, offended by grace. And his servant stopped him and talked him off the ledge and got him to jump in the river finally and jump into grace. Um, so you don't have to be a great prophet or a great pastor or, you know, professor to be a mediator of God's grace to the people in your life, uh, to the people here. Um, this is why the church is so important. We, we grow in grace together. Uh, we help each other grow in, in grace. It's not something we do uh, alone. Um, last, uh, well, no, it was, I, I just recently read, was reading about uh, uh, St. Francis, St. Francis of Assisi. Before he was St. Francis of Assisi, he was just Francis, right? Normal guy. Uh, who was a, a very godly man and having a profound impact on people. And 800 years ago, someone asked him, uh, you know, wh- you know how, how is it that you have this, such, such a profound godly influence on, 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 on people? And this is Francis's answer. He said, the Lord looked down from heaven and must have said, where can I find the weakest, the smallest, the most common man on the face of the earth? Then he must have looked down and seen me and said, now I've found him. I will work through him. For he will not be proud nor take my honor away from me. He will realize that I am using him because of his littleness and his insignificance. You know. And really what Francis is doing there is sort of channeling the Apostle Paul, right? Who, who wrote in Corinthians, God, God chose the, the, the foolish things in the world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things in the world to shame the strong. Why? So that no one may boast in the presence of the Lord. Gosh, I was reminded of this just this morning. I was, I was reading a, a, an editorial about a, a, a significant decision a uh, court decision that had just come down that is sending shockwaves through the pornography industry. And um, as I was reading this article, it turns out that the judge who wrote the opinion was a, had, had been a young lawyer in my law firm. You know, he was just the kid lawyer, um, and, but a believer. And nobody knows him. I mean, he's not, he's not well-known. He's not famous. Uh, but there he is just going about his work. Uh, and as he received the opportunity, he's written this, this brilliant opinion that's uh, shaking the porn industry. You know? Um, God will use his people. He'll use you wherever he has you to mediate his grace. Okay, principle number four. Uh, God's grace is what saves you. We know that, right? And it's also what changes you. It's what transforms you. You know, after, after Naaman was healed, right, he washes seven times in the Jordan, comes up, he's got baby skin. And what's the first thing that happens? What's the first thing that he does? He makes a profession of faith, doesn't he? 
You see it? Verse 15. Uh, it's not, you know, maybe not a perfect profession of faith, but that's, it's a profession of faith. Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but Israel. When you think about who that's, who's saying that, it's a remarkable profession of faith, isn't it? He's acknowledging the, the exclusive reality and sovereignty of the God of Israel and denying the reality of his own gods and the gods of all the earth. So grace saved him. I mean, he's making a profession of faith there. Uh, and, and you, just like Naaman, are saved by grace. Right? Grace alone. But, it, but it's not just, you know, it's not, grace doesn't stop with salvation. Grace, grace begins then a process of changing you, transforming you. Um, and you see it almost instantly, right? Here's this proud, demanding Naaman, right? Storming around, offended that, that uh, Elisha wouldn't answer the door that he had the gall to send a servant to talk to him, right? Kicking up dust because he's, he's, you know, he's been told his money isn't any good here, his people aren't any good here, that all I have to do is wash in the river, which any idiot can do, and I'm not just any idiot, right? This is this proud, demanding uh, expect people to respond to him and answer to him, guy. Name it. And then almost immediately, no, notice between, in verses, between verses 15 and 19, post-cure, as he's talking to, as Naaman is talking to Elisha, five times, no less than five times, Naaman refers to himself as Elisha's servant. I am your servant. I mean, that's not something Naaman would say. And yet there he is saying it. Grace is beginning to change him there. What's it doing? It's building humility into him. Right? That te- the, that's the t- telltale characteristic of a person who's been confronted by the Lord, who's been confronted by the, God's grace, is humility. And, and all of a sudden we're seeing it here uh, in, uh, in Naaman. Uh, grace also leads to worship, right? He becomes a worshiper, not just a professor of faith, not just a humble professor of faith, but now a worshiper. Uh, and that's what's going on in 17, verse, at the end there, verses 17, 18, and 19. It's, it's a little mysterious. Uh, but we find, we discover there that one of his duties, uh, as in addition to being the general, was apparently to go with his go with the king uh, to pagan worship, right? This god Rimon. And, and he would assist the king uh, in, in worshiping. And as he assisted the king in worshiping, he would worship. Well, he's, you know, he's fully, he's going back to Syria. He's, going, he's not losing his job. He's going to go back to his job. And so he says, I want to worship the God that I know, now, I know now is the only real God, so give me some Israel dirt. Right? You know, what? Um, you know, Naaman shared a, a, a common concept, uh, common in the ancient Near East, that deities were uh, kind of tied to geographical locations. 
right? That there were you know, deities were localized, and, and so and so he he maintained that concept. So his idea, he's he's you know he's proposing to Elisha, I want to worship God, but I'm I'm going to be in Syria and I'm going to be worshiping in this pagan temple. So here's my idea: if you give me a bunch of Israel dirt. Right, I'll put it on the. I'll put that dirt on the ground, and so whenever I kneel down in the house of Rimon, it may look like I'm worshiping Rimon, but I'm really worshiping the God of Israel. Now that's that's you know, there's a lot wrong with that proposal, but there's a lot right with it, right? Uh, and he certainly was sincere. He, he'd become a worshiper and he's trying to figure it out. Right? Grace leads you and me to worship. And, 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 and related to this, and then the last thing I want you to see about how grace transforms is actually not so much in Naaman as it is in, in, uh, in Elisha. Because, of course, Elisha has received God's grace. And what receiving God's grace for Elisha meant for Elisha is that Elisha became a grace giver. And this is true of you guys too, right? If, if you've received God's grace, it makes you a grace giver. It's the only appropriate thing to do. It's, you know, it's still, it's like Jesus parable of the, the, uh, what's he called? Is the unmerciful servant, right? The one who, was owed, uh, you know, ten bucks, or no, he owed owed a you know huge debt, right? King King forgave him the, the, this huge debt, and uh, a debt he could have possibly have repaid, and then and then he goes out and chokes out his friend for ten bucks, the owed him, right? Didn't extend the same grace that he had re- he'd received from the king to his friend, uh, and, and that was. Uh, parable that Jesus told it teaching that you know if you receive grace you have to give grace it's 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 the only fair right thing uh, to do uh, and so that's what Naaman is doing here right with his with Naaman's worship proposal I mean I, I know we have seminary professors here I know we have seminary students here it looks like we have some new seminary students here Right, and it's very easy. It would have been very easy for Naaman, just like it is when you're. It's very easy when you're a seminary student to go all theologically correct on somebody and just blow them out of the water. Right, just point up everything that was stupid about that worship proposal and say, "Are you kidding? You run as far away from Rimon as you can. Uh, in fact, good idea that you not go back." Right, you, 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 could, you can imagine the scenario, but, but Elisha didn't do that. He gave him grace. He saw Naaman as a man, just like Elisha was, a man in process. Right? We don't instantly arrive fully formed. We're, we're growing in grace. And, and, and we're processing. We're learning. Um, yeah. Grace makes you see a person in video, not in snapshot. And, that, and that's what, what Elisha was doing uh, with, with Naaman. And, and, and so he gave him grace and said, go in peace. You know, that, that'll work. It's not perfect, but it'll work. That's a gracious response. 
But, you know, to balance it, you, you, you also see uh, Elisha playing tough when, talk about growing in grace, he gets, right, Naaman gets cured, and what's, after, right after the profession of faith, what's he want to do? Pay for it. Right? Uh, and, and, and Elisha says, no. And, and he keeps on insisting, no, I want to pay for it. No. No, 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 right? Um, he was, Elisha was making sure that Naaman understood that what happened here was by grace and grace alone. And he didn't want to give him any grounds to think that he had somehow contributed to what had happened to him. Um, so, so, you know, you see, you see this, this delicate but wise balance in Elisha of, of grace and truth. Not compromising either, but, but doing his best to hold up both. Um, just like Jesus. And, uh, man, that's, we've got to be doing that at New Life. You know, and Christians generally, the last three years, have not been very good at this. You know, giving grace to one another. Holding up truth and grace. You know, seeing each other in process. You know. Um, but that, that's what should mark, mark new life. Um, that kind of, that kind of growth in truth and grace. Finally, principle number five, close with this one. Um, God's grace looks like a suffering servant. Um, one of my favorite Christian recording artists is a woman named Laura Story. Guys know her. Um, I love her stuff, and uh, she's actually in our denomination. She's a, at her church in Nashville. She's one of the worship leaders. Um, in in one of her songs, um, which is a, I guess a, probably a play on her name, it's titled "The God of Every Story." Um, she she's she reflects back in, her, in the last verse of that song she reflects back on a hard time in, in her life in her family's life uh, when her husband Martin had um, cancer was battling cancer they weren't it was touch and go as to whether he was going to survive and if he survived it was touch and go whether they'd ever be able to have children and um, so she sings about that in this la- the last verse of this song, and I, I, I will read it to you, not sing it for you, but I do commend the song. Listen, listen to her sing it. Uh, <clears throat> she, she sings, Young Martin is thankful he's alive. The doctor said he might not survive. That was seven years ago. What a miracle. And now there's this new baby girl. And with one breath, she's changed our whole world. Some say she looks like dad, but she looks like grace to me. She looks like your grace to me. And then she goes into the, to the uh, chorus. Um, you're the God of every story. You see each tear that falls. We may not understand, but one thing is certain. You are faithful. You're a faithful God. I love artists' take on the gospel. 
and, and, and Laura's story is getting at something I think really important in that song and that uh, when she says that grace looked like a person to her because she's really on to something because she, grace is something ultimately personal right it's not a force it's not a commodity it's not something that gets poured out and you can measure i think we talk about grace as if it's something like that but grace is ultimately a person and god's grace to naaman also looked like a person right that little israelite slave girl think about that little girl Here she was, she'd lost everything she had, stripped from her home, stripped from her family, taken to a foreign country, and ironically, serving as a slave in the house of the man who was responsible for all that bad stuff happening to her. Right? And and yet, she didn't do what I would do, which is like, one, I'd be, I'd be doing all these, uh, uh, what, what, what are those prayers? Imprecatory prayers, right? I would be praying imprecatory prayers against Naaman if I were her, right? Just praying against this guy every day, right? Moving the furniture, making him trip. <laughs> Spitting in his food. Right? Doing it, right? Think about what she's dealing with. And she was none of that. This little Israelite girl, stripped from her family. And what did, what did she do? She loved Naaman. She loved him. I mean, and you see that in verse 3. Would that my Lord were with the prophet who's in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Just the way that's written in Hebrew... That's evocative language. It's, it's evoking care. It's evoking love. Right. It, it, she puts me to shame. All right? Naaman lived because of the grace and the love extended to him by an anonymous little servant girl, a suffering servant. Grace and love that he had no right to expect and, and had certainly not deserved. And yet he received it. He received it from her even when he was an enemy. Well, you see where this is going, right? Because if you're a Christian, grace looks like a suffering servant for you too. Um, You have the ultimate suffering servant, the one that this little Israelite slave girl points to in a way that she could not have ever imagined, right? Um, Jesus Christ. Um, was sent out of his home, you know, left home, left wealth, left glory, uh, and came to earth to do for you what you could not do for yourself, to do for you what you could never earn, never deserve. Uh, he obeyed God's law for you. He, he died to fully pay God's judgment against your sin, He was raised ultimately to take you with him. Friends, when you get your head around the fact that grace has a face, 
And it's the face of Jesus Christ, the one who made you, the one who saved you and redeemed you. Then you really are on the road to radical grace-based transformation, right? Um, Grace is not intellectually understanding something. Grace is not submitting to an impersonal process. Grace is coming into a relationship with the living God. And friends, as the writer of Hebrews warns us, how will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Right? That's, that's the two-edged quality of, of God's grace. Jesus' grace is so amazing, so comprehensive, so self-emptying and surrendering, so, so sufficient for every problem we have. But if you neglect it, if you reject it, how will you escape? How will you escape judgment from a God who has given you that, that kind uh, of amazing grace? It's a sobering warning, but it's, it's, you know, it's amazing grace, isn't it? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for what... uh, You've done for us in Christ. Thank you for grace. Lord, we're growing in it. Forgive us when we keep falling away from it, falling back into our own ideas of merit and earning and deserving. Um, Lord, we gut your grace when we try to add our our own stuff to it. So have mercy on us. See us in process, Lord. Grow us like you grew, Naaman. Help us to be Christians who who uphold both truth and grace to one another. Help us as as a church, as one congregation in your church, Lord, to, to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and to grow together. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to Ted Hamilton, Senior Pastor of New Life Presbyterian Church, Escondido. Please visit us in Escondido, California, or online at newlifepca.com. New Life Presbyterian Church, Escondido, reserves all copyrights as applicable by law. Thank you for listening.